How did we get here? Less than a week ago, we were so happy. Crowds cheered and followed my son as he arrived here. But here we are. There he is. He's suffering before me. He's dying before me. I don't think I can bear it. My son, I love him. I can't save him. I'm helpless. Lord, show your mighty power. Send angels to bring him down, to heal his wounds. Lord, why have you abandoned him? Abandoned me? How much longer, Lord? How much longer will he suffer? If you will not save him, then... But no, that will mean he's... Please, Lord, help me to trust you. I trust you. It doesn't matter if you were born in China or the United Kingdom, in Canada or Korea, in Germany or the Philippines, in Vietnam or Colombia, in the United States or Kenya, or any place else in the world. One common element of life to all of us is grief. Grief affects millionaires and people who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Grief strikes at people who never finished high school and people who have multiple advanced degrees. Grief is as real for presidents as for peasants, for Christians as for atheists. For people who live in a democratic society, as for people who live under the thumb of a dictatorial government. Grief, pain, and loss cross every boundary of occupation, race, nationality, age, religion, and any other socioeconomic class we've created in this world. And there are many ways in which grief and pain and, and loss enter our lives. We feel a deep sense of loss and, and even grief when we realize that the highest dream for our lives, that which we've been working for so long, is not going to happen. When our financial foundations are pulled out from under us, when when a long-time employment is terminated. Those are sorrowful, grieving times. 
but typically because of our emotional investment. Our most painful losses are connected to our closest relationships. The death of a spouse or a sibling or a parent or a child or a friend. Or perhaps feeling betrayed by a spouse or a sibling or a parent or a child or a friend. And we are most vulnerable to deep pain in these closest relationships because these are the relationships in which we invest ourselves. These are the relationships that have the potential for the most joy when they're good and the most pain when they are not. And you can see this truth realized as you scan the faces of people who stand around the cross of Jesus. The soldiers have little emotional investment in Jesus because they're hardened by execution. The religious leaders who instigate this this series of events are so concerned about themselves that they too seem hardened to Jesus. The crowd that surrounds the cross probably represents a cross-section of emotion. Some weep at at the hostility. Others don't care at all. And the disciples of Jesus, at least the ones who are present, surely agonize over seeing their friend brutalized. But of all the people who witness this tragic event... No one grieves, no one experiences a deeper sense of pain and loss and agony of soul than Jesus' mother, Mary. All of Mary's life with Jesus is a, is a roller coaster of emotion. An angel comes to her and says, you're going to give birth to God's son. And then she has to turn to her parents and say, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant, and here's how it happened. She watches Jesus perform great miracles. She watches people reject Jesus, even in his own hometown. She watches Jesus ride into Jerusalem in triumph. And now she watches Jesus crucified as a criminal. I wonder, standing at the cross, if Mary's mind goes back to to that moment when Jesus is, is eight days old in the temple. And the great saint Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. And then he says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then focusing his eyes on hers adds, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Someone has said that the nails driven into Jesus' hands were were driven through Mary's too. And the jarring of the cross being dropped into his socket tears her nerves and wrenches her bones, even as it does Jesus. 
and the thirst that inflames his throat scorches hers also. Mary's presence at the cross reminds us that as much joy and blessing as we gain from our closest relationships, there is in those relationships the potential for real, genuine grief too. Sometimes the grief we feel is because of death. Every time someone we love dies, we experience grief and sorrow and loss. It's natural. It's a sign that that we love the person. We care about them. And as difficult as the death of someone we love is, sometimes, probably most of the time, the deaths that we experience follow the natural order of living and dying in this world. That the older die before the younger. That, that parents die before children. And it doesn't make the death any less significant, but perhaps maybe a bit more understandable. But sometimes the deaths that we mourn are even more painful because they move outside of that path of normal living and dying. I've officiated at many funerals through the years of my ministry. And the most difficult ones are those in which a parent outlives a child. Parents have said to me, it's not supposed to be this way. Children aren't supposed to die before their parents. It's not right. And it's not. Which is what makes it even more painful. And surely, Mary must be thinking these same thoughts as she watches her son die. And sometimes the pain isn't from death, but from traumas that those we love experience. Mary knows what it's like to watch her son mistreated. And not just at the cross, but throughout all of his ministry. Jesus does all these great miracles, but when he comes to his hometown and begins to speak some hard words, the people are ready to toss him off a cliff. She listens to people talk about him being crazy, deluded, unstable. You know that has to wound her deeply. And we're going to face similar circumstances with people we love. I suspect that it's probably most difficult to experience that with our children. They're going to be mistreated in this cruel world. And we want to protect them. We want to spare them. But we can't. And we would trade places with them in a moment. Say that about me, not about them. But we can't. We live in a world that is unfinished, sinful, And painful things happen and we hurt one another. And out of those painful experiences, we can feel deep grief, loss. Sometimes the grief is the result of choices made by those we love. You know, when you're you're standing back observing someone's life decisions, it's easy to see that they're making right and wrong ones, at least from our perspective. We want to warn them. Sometimes we do, and sometimes it doesn't make a bitter difference. We grieve for the fear because we fear where the decisions they're making are leading them. 
Our greatest fear surely is the spiritual direction we might see people taking. We grieve decisions of those we love who reject Christ. We lament choices that turn people we love away from God because we know it's leading them to destruction. And we do all we can, but eventually people have to make their own choices. We love them, we care for them, we pray for them. But we do it with a wounded, grieving heart. And as odd as it might sound, sometimes our struggle is releasing those we love to do what God has called them to do. I think this is particularly a difficult issue for parents. Parents struggle with control. We we believe we know what's best for our children. But we need to be careful lest we end up not only fighting with our children, but fighting with God about our children. John and Charles Wesley began the Methodist movement in 18th century England. Their godly, saintly, devout mother, Susanna, didn't understand what they were doing. And she wrote to them, questioning the wisdom that they were, of the things they were teaching and the decisions that they were making. She didn't understand. It was hard for her to release them. Mary must have been concerned when Jesus makes the decision to leave home and go out in this itinerant ministry. Joseph is likely dead by this time, and it's the eldest son's responsibility to care for his mother. And he's leaving. And if she doesn't, she surely wants to cry out, Jesus, don't go. We know Mary's a godly woman. She's chosen to give birth to God's son. But as sensitive as she is to God, I'm not sure she truly understands the decisions of Jesus' life and certainly not the decision that Jesus makes to willingly go to the cross. And the only time Jesus, we have recorded that Jesus gets a bit firm with his mother is when she and his siblings come to him and say, look, I'm not sure you know what's going on here. Why don't we just take you home and settle things down a bit? And Jesus says, my family is those who do the will of God. And ultimately, we have to release those we love to the will of God. I wonder sometimes if I give my child, my spouse, my parents, my sibling, my friend, I give them to God, might be the most important and most difficult words in the English language. And certainly there are other relational experiences that cause us grief and pain. Life is filled with disappointment, pain, sorrow, unfulfilled expectations and dreams. We have many reasons for which to grieve. But when we turn to the cross, we turn to the cross, we see there that no matter what we are grieving, no matter why we are grieving, Jesus cares. It's amazing to me that Jesus, as he endures the physical pain of the nails in his hands and his feet, and as he gasps for breath because his lungs are filling with fluid, his diaphragm is squeezing shut as the blood runs down his face. 
from the crown of thorns being jammed into his head as he is overwhelmed by the guilt and shame and remorse of the sins of the world being laid upon him. In spite of all of this, Jesus sees his mother and feels compassion for her. It shouldn't surprise us because isn't that the cross? Jesus sees his mother and John says that when he sees her and the disciple whom he loves standing nearby, he says to her, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And tradition tells us that she continued to live with John in Judea until her death about 15 years later. I think John records this brief conversation for a couple of reasons. I think for one reason, it's to, it's to reveal the compassionate heart of God in our sorrow. There's something in, in these words of Jesus that mirrors all that we know of God through the pages of Scripture, through the ages of human existence. Despite what some people want to believe and what some people teach, Being a follower of Christ does not eliminate grief and pain and suffering from our lives. Pain and sorrow and grief are the result of living in a fallen world with fallen people. God gives us free wills, and out of those free wills, sometimes we choose to hurt one another. We live in a fallen world, and accidents happen, and things happen. Painful things come to us. And Jesus doesn't give us all the answers to our pain, but he promises to be with us in the midst of our pain. One of the most repeated promises of God in the pages of Scripture is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the most famous Psalm 23, David affirms, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Paul reminds the Romans that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We may find some answers sometimes for our grief. Sometimes we will not. And one day, it's going to all be made clear. But until that day, we're called to trust. To trust our lives and our pains and our sorrows to God because we believe that God is trustworthy and that God is willing to risk anything to prove that he's trustworthy, that he loves us, that he cares for us. God the parent is a risk taker. He risked with his first children, Adam and Eve. He risks with his chosen children, the people of Israel, and he continues to do so. And these risks, they cause him unbelievable pain and heartache. But every risk is for us. And isn't this the message ingrained in the Lord's table? The broken body, the shed blood of Christ are for us. 
In this table, we see the lengths to which God is willing to go in order to comfort our grieving hearts, in order to prove his loving presence to us. But it's also important to remember that the Lord's Supper is a communal meal. We can eat it alone, but it's not intended to be eaten alone. It's intended to be eaten as community. The table of our Lord draws us together in our grief and in our healing. One of the joys of taking communion together is watching each of you take the bread and drink the cup. There's great joy and presence in all of us sharing this meal together. And this too, we see in Jesus' words from the cross. He not only is wanting us to know the compassionate presence of God, but also to remind us that more often than not, God's compassionate heart is revealed to other people. We're affected by other human beings. And so when Jesus wants to comfort his mother's grieving heart, he gives her John. John becomes the hands and the feet and the eyes and the arms of Jesus to his mother. As important as it is to know that God is with us, we also need to know that God's children are with us. I have a feeling that God wants to use each of us in some form to be a tool for helping someone else in their grief. To spend time with them, to send a note to them, to reach out beyond our comfort zone to one another. Just to be a willing and ready shoulder to cry on. I think we underestimate the power of being present with someone in a difficult time. But notice that that Jesus not only gives Mary to John, he gives John to Mary. It's a reciprocal relationship. And one of the most powerful tools for healing our own pain and grief is reaching out to others in their pain and grief. If you've been through your grief and have found a measure of healing, I, I suspect that God is interested in using you and your life to help someone else in a similar situation. Because you know more than anyone else what they're feeling. And it's here that the role of the church becomes so important for us once again. God's designed the church to be a place of refuge and healing. This is the one place where we can find open arms of love and grace in our times of need. This is the one place where we can be honest about our pain, even when that honesty is uncomfortable. This is the one place where we can find listening ears and careful tongues and compassion for what we are facing and feeling. Because we're all in this together. We don't eliminate one another's pain. But we can be the presence of Christ to one another in our pain. When grief comes to us, we always have two choices. We can blame God. We can hold our grief against him. We can become bitter and reclusive and turn our backs on God. 
or we can trust God. We can give the grief to him, believing that he is with us and believing that he is sending people into our lives to help us and believing that out of even our grief, God can bring joy and peace and compassion through the grace of Christ. I pray that in whatever you are facing, you will choose to trust. Heavenly Father, give us grace to trust you. Father, as we turn our attention to your table, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was born into this world, a baby, who lived a perfect life, and in your love went to the cross for us. We give you thanks that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you raised him up from the dead. And that in his life, we have life. Father, we remember on that night when Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And he gave thanks to you and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to you and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, we pray that you will send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. That in receiving them, we may know the presence of the living Christ. and Be renewed as his body, cleansed from sin by his blood. And serve you together in righteousness and joy. Through Jesus Christ. Amen.